Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. It is entitled, Pearl of Great Price. I started this message back on July 25th, and uh, that Sabbath, Ron Wilhite covered the same subject I had selected. So I normally don't change my subject, but I did this time, and I changed it to spiritual discernment through humility, which Curtis spoke about last week. So I've kind of combined the two subjects to talk about the pearl of great price referenced in Matthew 13, 45 and 46. <clears throat> If we turn to Matthew 13, 45, and 46, we'll start with reading that scripture, starting in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking fine pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And if we, I'm not going to turn over to Matthew 3, verse 2, and a second statement of the same fact in Matthew 4, 17. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The word hand is Strong's number 1448, meaning to bring near, to join one thing to another. And of course, the joining of one thing to another man to the kingdom of heaven occurs with the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And this begins our spiritual relationship with God. My purpose is to spur you on to a more detailed and significant relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ through the scriptures that we're going to cover today. And we're going to begin with a story of a professor at a university in the state of Alabama. He was giving his lecture and he got to a point in there and said, some people say this is of God, but I'm telling you there is no God. Because if there is a God, I'm going to challenge him right now. He can come down and in the next 15 minutes knock me off of this podium. He went on with his lecture for a while and at the 10 minute point said, 10 minutes have gone by and God still hasn't shown up. He still hasn't knocked me off of this podium. And he went into a bit of a tirade against God for about the next two minutes or so when a figure in the back of the classroom, a large figure, stood up, looked to be a football player, about 6'4", 240 pounds. He went to the podium and he flattened him. Boom! Decked him. The professor was shocked gets himself righted and says, what did you do that for? And the guy says, God was busy, so he sent me. <laughs> the first step in a relationship with God is belief. For one must believe that God is and believe with faith 
as it says in Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So this professor doesn't know God, can't know God, can't even take the first step toward God because he doesn't even believe that God is. But believing in God alone is not sufficient by itself. We have a caution in have a caution in Romans 10 verse 2. Romans 10 verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Paul mentions this in a, in a because he recognized that people believe that there's a God, but they have no idea who he is, what he is, if he, if he has any requirements on how to approach him. And so, as Paul says in, in, later in his discourse, they build birds and images of fowl and beasts, thinking that they're worshiping the great unknown God. And so once we take the step of believing, the next step is to acquire knowledge. And we can go to Acts 17.23. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. <clears throat> this is Paul when he's at Athens. And I'm going to start in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. And Paul goes on to say, Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So the next step is having knowledge about God, and it has to be the correct knowledge. And once you get that knowledge, we can't forget it. And if we go to Hosea 4.6, Hosea 4.6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no more, more priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of, God, of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So once we have knowledge about God, doesn't mean we will have God forever. We have to stake with it. But even having knowledge alone is not enough, you see. Because you can be an atheist 
and procure a PhD in Christian religious studies for the very purpose of combating Christianity. Knowledge about God doesn't have to translate into knowing God or having a sustained relationship. Romans 121. Because when they knew God, and here are some qualifications of what we have to do if we're going to continue to know God. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. So there we have two qualifications. One is that we need to glorify him as God, and we need to be thankful to him for the things that he has done to, for us. So that requires an awareness of the things that he has done for us, both collectively and individually. The third step <clears throat> is coming to know God. To have God in every aspect of our lives. And of course, we all want that, and we all desire that, but things sometimes have the way, a way of getting in the way of things, and we don't achieve that to the best possible. Sometimes we compartmentalize our lives so he's only a part of our religious life as opposed to our marriage life, our parenting life, our relationship between our brothers and our sisters, our professional careers. And some of the promises that the scriptures list for us that he will do for us, we should be aware of because there are areas in our life that we can invite him in. The first one is going to be Psalm 119, Psalm number 99, of course, 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. There are so many applications of this because this isn't just in the realm of academics or religious teaching. We're going to see later on that God gave wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to people that did physical work. They processed silver, gold, and wood, and he gave them uh, that knowledge, that wisdom. So it applies to careers. If you have a boss who um, has a PhD, say, and you have a little two-year degree or something, you can bring, with God's help, you can bring attention to things that he may not even know. And I, I want to give one example of that. And I use that because I'm familiar with it because it happened to me. I don't like talking about myself, but there was a PhD who invented essentially this product and he set up the manufacturing product process for it. And since day one, there had been a problem with the product. The yield was only about 90 to 95%. And I saw a report that came across my desk and I said, that's curious, but it was his baby. I wasn't going to interfere. That was like, you could say sacred territory. Nobody was to mess with that. 
Some months later, another report came across, and I read the report, and the minute I read it, I said, I know what the problem is. I don't know how I knew that, but I knew. And I give God credit for that. I went out, I did a couple test evaluations to verify that my understanding was correct. And so I figured, well, I'll just go over on the sly. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'll just go over on the sly, and I'll, I'll tell the PhD about it. And he'll probably you know, be thankful and go out and make a correction. Well, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want to hear about it at all. He didn't even, wouldn't, wouldn't even read the report. Uh, he wanted nothing to do with it, and I can only uh, attribute that to intellectual vanity. But with the way the organization was, um, I didn't let it go at that. I figured I'm not going to let the corporation suffer a 10% yield loss. So I went to quality and manufacturing. I said, I know the solution to the problem here. They saw what it was, and they signed off in the approval to change the, the process then. He wouldn't talk to me at all for the rest of the eight years I was there. But that's the type of thing that God can do, not only for me, for you. And you probably, some of you have already experienced that. Maybe you've had it experienced, but you're not aware of it. <laughs> See, because God can work that way where he does something, but your sensitivities aren't there, and you're not aware of that. Hey, God did that. The second one is in Proverbs 16.7. Proverbs 16, 7. <clears throat> when a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now there's some prayer material. If you have any relationships that have... <clears throat> this rings a bell over the last 24 hours for me. <clears throat> An adversarial relationship. Here's one. If your ways can please the Lord, he will make your enemies to be at peace with him. Let's not use the, enemy, the word enemies. Let's use it adversaries or competitors because it doesn't have to be a hardcore enemy. Um, but God can do that for us if we're aware of the problems that we have and we don't bury our head in the sand um, and say, I'm right. I, Again, I had personal experiences with this. I chastised, I violated one of the, I think it's in the Proverbs where it says, don't chastise another man's servant. I did that once. I got all, and after, after many months of um, coercing and, and trying to motivate him because he had, a, he had a task before him that he needed to do and I needed the end result of his task and he wasn't doing it, he was slurking on it. I kind of got fed up with it, and I blew up on it. <clears throat> Every once in a while, I become a volcano. Uh, and he came storming over into my office. And, oh, he had these words. And as usual, what happened, um, he went to one of my best friends and said, I can't believe I blew up on art like that. I just can't believe it. You know, I, I, I don't know why I did it. I just, so, you know. I knew where he was at, so everything worked out. You know, we made peace, uh, and that was the end of that situation. And then if we just drop down a couple verses to verse 9, Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Again, I'm going to use a personal example on this. 
The last time I spoke, I gave some personal examples, and everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, many people appreciated that and could relate similar circumstances and asked me to, to continue doing that, so I'm doing that today. Um, a man's heart devises his way. When I graduated high school, I, I devised my way, my path, my journey in life. I wanted to go to college, and I wanted to get a degree in electrical engineering. And so before I could do that, I had to sign up for the draft because I was turning to be 18. And unlike Steve Andrews' experience, mine was quite the opposite. Being 18 and out of high school, I figured I, I, I sent in to get the application for a to be a conscientious objector. I got the paperwork in the mail. And I had no clue where to begin. I figured I had to write a two or 300 word essay to justify my position, stating whys, wherefores, how comes. And I didn't even know where to start. So I set it aside. Some days later, I picked it up, and it was a Friday, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I read through it again, and that's when I read the fine print that says, you have 10 days to return this form. That was the 10th day. So now, I don't even know where to start to write a two or 300 page essay, two word essay. And I said, God, what am I going to do? Instantly, it was right there. Thou shalt not kill. I wrote two sentences. If every man in the world, and woman in the world, kept the command that says, thou shalt not kill, there would be no wars. And when the leader of the country said, we're going to war, all the people would stand up in unison and say, no, we're not. That's what I wrote. How can you argue with that? <laughs> you know, you, you might not like it, and you might make a big stink about it, but I got my conscientious objector approved didn't have to go before the board or anything. So that was the first step along my journey to get a job in the electrical engineering field. The next step was to go to college, which here again, I wanted a college that was near church because I wanted to attend church because we hadn't been attending church because it wasn't one in our area. I had whittled it down to two churches, one, uh, two, two colleges, one in Indiana, one in South Carolina. I chose the one in Indiana. What, and the reason I really chose it was because I didn't think I liked grits, okay? <laughs> so when I get to college, I got there a couple of days early because I wanted to learn my way around the campus and I wanted to learn my way around the town. My roommate shows up the next day. He's Seventh-day Adventist. So we have two Sabbath keepers rooming together. I don't think that's coincident. But we didn't like the dorm we were in, so we decided, let's go over, let's see if they have any space over in the new dorm, which is on the other end of the campus, because that's really nice. So we did that, and we got a room up there. And classes started, and I met this guy by the name of Barry Toth. And Barry Toth says, yeah, I went to Ambassador College for a year, and I'm not going back. And we live right across the street from the dorm. God's hand, again, in that step of the path of this journey to get a job as an electrical engineer. So I graduate college, and I'm looking for a job. And back in those days, you didn't have the internet, and you didn't have, all, uh, you know, the, the way they do things today is totally different from what we did back then. You'd give your name to a 
placement agency and you'd read newspaper ads and professional journals, or you'd just get in your car and you'd drive and look for signs or whatever. What I decided to do was leave Valparaiso, Indiana, drive up to the west side of O'Hare Airport, because I knew there were a lot of industrial parks up there, and I drove through those industrial parks starting on a Monday. And after one week of driving through the industrial parks, and every company looked like it had anything to do with electrical engineering or anything, and if they didn't, sometimes I would stop and go over and ask the guard, hey, do you guys do like electronics in this plant? If they did, I went in and put in an application. If they said no, I went on my way. Well, after one week, I didn't have any thing on the line yet, so I think, I'm going to ask the, the local minister. And he said, well, you know, we have quite a few people that work up at Zenith Electronics in Chicago. You might try that. So right away, I'm excited. I go home that night, where is Zenith Electronics at? Let's get the phone book out or something. And then I, I had a weird thought. I said, wait a minute. I'm about halfway through my industrial park here that, that, that I'm currently working on. I'm going to stick with my program. I'm going to stay with my program. and." Once I get done with this industrial park that I'm searching, then I'll go over and look for Zenith Electronics Corporation. Well, on Thursday, as I was completing, I think I had like two more streets to go, and I would be completed through that industrial park. You know what I ran into? Zenith Electronics Corporation. It was the Elk Grove facility. Little did I know five years later I'd be working there. But at that time, they didn't have a personnel agency, so they sent me down to the corporate headquarters. And I went in the next day, Friday, and put in an application. And they, they said they had an opening, and I went in and had the interview. Here again, God's hand was right there. In our last semester in college, we had to design and build some kind of an electronic product project. And then we had to demonstrate it, explain how it worked. And for most of us, it actually didn't work. <laughs> but we tried, and we explained how it was supposed to work. I didn't know that was going to be a key part of why I would get my job. The guy doing it, this was in research and development. And Bill Watson, he's interviewing me, and he says, and this was back 1972 when ICs were just coming out brand new. Many colleges weren't even teaching integrated circuit technology. And Bill Watson, my, the interviewer, says, well, we're using uh, integrated circuits on, on our current project. And you probably don't know too much about that. It's, it's digital, digital integrated circuits. Uh, and what he didn't know was we did have it at my college. We had a very thorough course in integrated circuits and the technology. So I said back to him, well, are you using T squared L logic or ECL logic? Kind of stopped him in his tracks. He said, well, we're using T squared L Motorola 2400 series. You know what I used in my project in college? Motorola 2400 series. So I said to him, well, you're probably using the Motorola 2412 for your divide by 12, your motor, the 2407 for your driver, and the 2408 for the receiver, and his mouth dropped onto the floor. I had myself a job. So you see how the steps go through into the journey, the path? 
step by step. In Proverbs 3.16, it says, Acknowledge him in all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So now he's not talking about steps. Now he's talking about the path. Because the steps, you know, when I came over from the piano, the steps are the little bitty things. They're like this, okay? Now he's telling you, do you go this way or do you do that way? And the requirement is you must acknowledge him. That's the qualification. You must acknowledge him. The next point has to do with actual physical work. And it's two places. <clears> There's <throat> Exodus 31, verse 3, and Exodus 35, 31. <clears throat> and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Now, if, if you open your Bible, that's, that scripture, and go back to the previous verses, you will find he's talking about physical workmanship here. And if you go over to Exodus 35, 31, it's the same scripture, essentially. And he talks in the previous scriptures about working with silver and gold and working with wood. So he's talking about the wisdom from God and the understanding from God and the knowledge from God to be able to do these physical tasks. Tasks even today. He will do those things for not only then, but for us. And here is the application of the second half of Hebrews 11.6, where it says we must diligently seek him. You see, these things don't just happen. There's a, we must diligently want him in all aspects of our life and have the humility to listen to the still small voice so we can abide in Christ. Currently, there is a doctrine out that I think is a terrible doctrine. It's not being taught by us, although I have in times past over the years heard a couple messages. Uh, no place around Oklahoma. It was a long time ago. Two messages that, that kind of went in the direction of the doctrine out there. that They now call it name it, claim it. Has anybody heard of that? Name it, claim it? Yeah. Basically, you state what you want and you make your claim to God's promise and he has to answer it because he's breaking his word otherwise. God can't lie. The problem with the doctrine is there are qualifications for him to answer prayer. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to them that... Qualification number one. Love God. How do you love God? If you love me, keep my words, keep my commandments. And to those that are called according to his purpose, you must be humbly seeking him. A corollary to to that doctrinal teaching, it's not really a teaching, but it's an attitude that they give to their people or, or teach their people, is I want the best God has for my life. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting the best that God has for your life. But the problem comes in in that when you talk to these people, they're usually talking about the physical. 
They're talking, oh, I want the perfect guy. I want the perfect woman. I want the perfect job. I want more money. What if God's best for you is what happened to Job? You see, because God is foremost and first concerned about your spiritual state and having you in his kingdom. And he is actively molding us into what he wants us to be. We often can't see it and wonder why, but he's grinding off the rough edges, polishing us up, and that is essentially what's going on. One of the items or aspects of life that will cause us to go off track, which Curtis mentioned it last week, is going for the gold. Going for that which makes us feel important, significant. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we keep an awareness about ourselves and take heed not to leave God out or to deceive ourselves about what we were doing. You know the biggest liar you have to watch out for after Satan? Is yourself. Self-deceit is extremely difficult to recognize. I've got one example of, I'm going to give, give you. Um, name, man's name was Cecil, and he worked for the contractor that built our house. And he wanted to have his own construction company, and he was working hard and saving his money and trying to get the money together to get this company going. And just about the time, well, it was about the spring of 2007, about six months before the real estate bubble burst, <coughs> he started his company, and his employer, who was also a construction company, did him a real nice favor. They sold him six lots in our housing development, you see. Discount price. Some of the members of the board, I, I was on the, the Homeowners Association board at the time. We talked about what was going on there. One of us got to talk to this guy. So one of us did, and it wasn't me and gently pointed out some things with those lots. They're giving you a real good price, not because they like you, because they can't sell the lots, because those are the worst lots in the whole development. And even if you build a house on there, you're not gonna sell it. But he was in love with his idea. He was infatuated, he was getting his feeling of importance out of starting his company, and he was totally blind to the reality of the situation. His company didn't even last a year and a half. He built a couple houses, he didn't sell any of them, and he went bankrupt, and he lost his own personal house besides. <clears throat> so I, I hope that I've given you some insight into the things that we need to do to obtain the pearl of great price. And I want to I end with another story. <clears throat> and this story is about a pastor who was invited to present a talk to an assembly at a high school. And during the question and answer session, a young man stated, I don't believe in God unless he proves his existence by sending down lightning bolts right now. I never will believe. And the pastor says, Son, the great God of the universe that created man thousands of years ago 
doesn't jump through hoops to prove his existence to man. It's man that jumps through the hoops to find God. And so it is with us. We must strive to be close to God. We must diligently seek him and make sacrifices of the heart and sacrifices that deny the self and keep on the straight and narrow because the greatest achievement in life is to obtain the pearl of great price. <laughs>